Most everyone in recovery from recovery here? No. Well, we're always in recovery from something, right? But I think someone came in and said that he was an Advaitist, so the only place Advaita has any value is in duality. Advaita means non-duality. It has no value whatsoever except in duality. Yeah? We don't believe in non-duality here. We're not living in non-duality. We're living seemingly in duality. And that's why non-duality has value, because duality creates a lot of suffering. Yeah? There can't be a heaven without a hell. There can't be peace without chaos. There can't be hate without love. There are two sides of the same coin, where non-duality is a choicelessness, in a way. And my head works mostly on thinking it has options. It's always believing it did something or it could have, it did something it shouldn't have done or it's done something it sh- or it didn't do something it should have done. It's either a, a crime of committing or omitting. But that's all the idea of having options. And when it comes to your nature, it's got to be optionless. It's got to be choiceless. It can't be when you feel like you're one, then you sort of live, you know, hold the banner of oneness up. But then when you feel like you're two, then you live on that level of two-ness. Because you're going to feel like this too. That's what the body does here. And the mind, the conditioned mind, sees things perceptually as different and separate. It's in duality, in a sense. But the, the consciousness of that fact, it's not a fact, but the consciousness of that seeming duality is oneness. Yeah? It's choicelessness. And that's the state that I am, and you are. And it has nothing to do with feeling or thinking. There's no need to try to convince this. This is unconvincible. Because it's, again, based on being convinced and unconvinced. It can never be thoroughly convinced because the other side of it is unconvinced. So it can act like it's thoroughly convinced for an hour or two, and the next day it will be totally unconvinced. It's not personal because there's no person. It's the mental process. The mental process is structured in split mind and in a dualistic notion. Or like the mind works on a binary system. Either or, yes, no, hot, cold. It doesn't move like the other senses, which is out and then bringing the information in and going like this, yeah? It goes... So I'm close or I'm far. I'm getting close when I do the retreat. And therefore, if I believe the retreat brought me closer, something else can bring me farther away. It's just the way the mind works. You can't escape it if you're identified as it. If you believe you did something to bring you close to the truth, you will also believe at the next possibility that you can do something to bring you away from the truth. That's not choicelessness. Choicelessness is all there is is that. And when the mind sort of drops into that and the struggle ceases, it shows some effects here. This, as this, starts traveling later because it's not this. (laughs) That's the whole beautiful news. It doesn't mean you're not going to have the experience of this thing traveling, because that's what this experience is here, is of this traveling. But this will travel later, yeah? because the, the sense of duality, the high, low, the yes, the no, I could have been closer, but I'm farther away, is out of the picture. Just like in recovery, abstinence is the key. Abstinence is the key. It's not about, oh, I don't think I'm going to drink this, or I may drink a little of that. It's not controlling drinking, or, or because if you were trying to control drinking, you'd be obsessed with drinking. That's not it. Abstinence is like the problem doesn't exist for you anymore. It's just a done deal. Bye-bye. Over. Finito. Then something else can take its place, a, a, a momentum and a movement 
where there's no looking backness, there's no looking forward. Yes. Because the whole dualistic break is, is done. You're not looking forward, therefore there's no looking back. You're not feeling like you're close, therefore you don't feel like you're far. You don't identify with the either feeling. Yeah? The feeling arises, there's an awareness of it, but there's not the investment in it. You're not giving it the meaning that it's you that feels like it's close. Because if you do that, you will feel like it's far away. It's just the nature of the place. Yeah? And if you have a certain stream of, of uh, let's say, theme of mind that, like I had, just like when I noticed the head, I noticed that when you were having a really good time, in about ten minutes, my head would start worm, you know, wondering when it's going to end. Or worrying why, you know, someone's going to find out I'm a fraud. Or, this is God, I can't handle this incredible good time. But the same head, if it was a bad day, it would, la- it would make it last forever. It would say, Jesus, this is going to turn, turn into a lifelong depression. If that's what's interpreting life for you, you're on the short end of the stick. But there's going to be two ends. So the short end of the stick has this one little aspect, which is this incessant hope that you're going to get to the other end of the stick. But if you get to the other end of the stick, it determines what it, your destiny is to go back to that end of the stick. Because there's, there's never a rest, there's never a peace, there's never an equilibrium. It's always a movement back and forth, close and far, love and hate, peace and chaos. And you become the axis of it. The idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, separate entity that can experience both. I can be peaceful and I can be chaotic. What you are is neither of those. That's the option, that's the optionlessness of it, that's the choicelessness of it. And unless it's taken out of that arena of dualistic takes, that I'm an advitus or a non-advitus, or whatever, whatever identification is going on with the movement of the pendulum, there won't be any true freedom. Because that's the bondage, is the movement of the pendulum. Feeling great and feeling terrible. Being identified with the one who feels great when they're at the retreat in like New Mexico, and the one that feels terrible when they go back to work on Monday. You're neither of them. Yeah. It's not you're one and not the other. You're neither. That's the solution. It's like the thing with the, the best way to get out of anything is realize you were never in it. Because if you believe you were in something, and then you get the sense that I got out of it, and there's a great relief to get out of it, you're only destined to be back in something again. And that being in something will create a movement to want to get out of it, which is seeking and so seeking becomes a dominant movement. You want to be in something, but you realize you're out of it, so you try to do something and get back into it. And while you're doing something to get back into it, you're ensuring that you'll be out of it. Because <laughs> that's the only way the seeking will keep going. You've got to have the sense that what I'm in, it never becomes established. Because if it became established, you would have no relevance as the one who got in it. And then you would not have any relevance as the one that can leave it. See, that's the beauty of this message. You, as an individual entity, are totally irrelevant. You cannot change the fact of what you're not and what you are. Yeah. That's the, if, it has, if it's up to you, you know, you know. I know people that have been enlightened three times. You know, once wasn't enough. They did something, and then they were enlightened. They proclaimed their enlightenment. And then a couple of years later, they got to get a new enlightenment. Now, then the, now they're on the third enlightenment. How many enlightenments does it take to get enlightened? How 
How many times do you need to hear the message to hear the message? You don't even need to hear the message. That's really the message. Hopefully that's what you hear today. What I needed to hear is I don't need to hear this damn message. <laughs> then when you come here, you'll realize you had nothing to do with coming here. And therefore you have nothing to do with leaving. And you'll probably enjoy staying. <laughs> really, if you can believe in you're coming here to get something, then your mind's going to quantify what you got, compare it with other things you got, and you may find this lacking, and then you'll go out shopping again for what you need. But you don't need this message. It's an invitation. Yeah. So I wouldn't waste one second attempting to convince this. It's unconvincible. It can never have an established fact without a counterfact. It's the nature of it, of the conditioned mental process. And don't and we are a product. The what we're feeling right now is a product of a mental process. The mental process, called selfing, makes can't create because create would make it real. It can't make it. It can't create anything. But it makes the sense of being a noun, an individual entity. And then life is told from that point of view. And that point of view opens you up to a lot of suffering. I don't know why I could go into it, but who cares? The fact is just to recognize the suffering. And you can tell that you're in an intense amount of suffering if you're living on incessant hope that it will get better someday. Yeah. And you can know that what you're hoping and relying on to bring you the goods will never bring you the goods when they, all it gives you is rationalizations why the delivery hasn't occurred yet. Or excuses why it hasn't happened. Or blaming someone else for stopping the delivery because I did everything I was supposed to do. Why didn't this happen? It must have been the teacher. Or it must have been this. It was the food at that retreat or whatever. That was the pillow, the cushion. I was off. I wasn't, you know, my spine wasn't aligned perfectly. I should have been closer to the teacher. Then I would have got it. It's ridiculous. You are that. So, I don't know. Most people don't want to be free, really. They, don't, they want to want to be free. They don't want to be free. Because when you want to be free, in a sense, that's wanting to want to be free. Yeah. When you want to be free, as this you, that's wanting to want to be free. It's not being free. Because the freedom is from that. It's not for that. This is a glutton for freedom. It will eat it up, eat it up, eat it up. You'll, you'll never get its, it never will get its fill of freedom. Yeah? But it's freedom from that. It's a recognition, I'm not that. And then that choicelessness becomes predominant in your life. So you see the comings and goings. It's like watching a tide. It's like watching the ocean. If, you, if you're at a beach and it's high tide, it looks to you like there's more water than when it's low tide. But the ocean has the exact same amount of water. It appears to be high and low to us. So basically, really nothing's happening. There's just this stillness, but there's a movement in it, coming and going, high and low, love and hate, good and bad, near and far, this and that. But they're just movements. They don't change the weight or the essence of what's there. All there is is that, that spirit, that consciousness. When that becomes obvious, and there's, a, there's, no, there's no use sinking into it, when it's obvious, that's the sinking into it. When it sinks into it, you have an immunity to this and that. You have an immunity to the thoughts that are always based on this and that. Yeah? 
you see thoughts as just a very archaic expression of a very small system. It's so obvious. Self-centeredness is like a helmet we put on that creates its own atmosphere of anxiety, and we've been breathing it for so long, we're thinking this is real, and everyone, someone who comes and invites you is just telling you to take off the helmet. I'm knocking on the glass. You're going, what? What? Take off the helmet. Take off the helmet. If you took off the helmet, you, you would gasp, like, oh, I'm not going to... And yet you'd realize, phew, immediately there would be a realization of the freedom from the helmet. It's not like going, oh, this feels so great, then put the helmet on and want to get it like with the helmet. No, you realize the helmet was prohibiting me from entertaining it. Instead of taking it off. And then this is like when I was young, I used this example. You know, when you're like 14, you're trying to strut your stuff. You're 13 or 14, it's like you're trying to meet the opposite sex, whatever. And so I lived in Long Island, and there was a big uh, mall called Roosevelt Fields in Long Island. <laughs> so I was 13 or 14, and I had this outfit I thought was killer. Yeah? It was a long sleeve, gray shirt, t shirt, with, uh, with uh, red. Corduroys. Yeah, I looked like I thought I was, and I had little, you know, long hair, hair there, and I thought I looked pretty cool. And I was getting a lot of notice, a lot of attention. I'm thinking, Jesus, this is working, man. I'm looking pretty sharp. And so I was going on like this for months, pretty much wearing it every weekend, this one outfit. And then one of my friends had some compassion on me and said, Hey, Paul, you know, that shirt is pink, bro. And those pants are magenta. Yeah? As soon, and I, I had looked at myself in the mirror, and I looked at it, and I had seen it as gray thousands of times. And I'd seen these pants as red thousands of times. But it only took one invitation for me to realize the mistake. As soon as my friend said, hey, you know, that shirt, bro, is pink, and those pants are magenta, I saw it as pink and magenta immediately. And I never saw it as gray again. Yeah? I never saw those magenta pants never appeared to be red to me ever again. I took them off and I never went out into my closet and, and saw, you know, are they gray? No, it was dead. It was, it was a choiceless event. There was no option. They are freaking pink and the pants are magenta. That was that. That's what it's like. Yeah. The same thing that's, that's obvious right now, thousands of times is being misconstrued to mean something else. The invitation, I hope, will bring about an opening where that can occur. Not that this causes it, because the mind, there's no occurring of this anyway. It's just an entertaining. It's like entertaining a lazy Susan. The, the truth is always available, but your mind goes to slots, yeah? It doesn't mean it's not there and then it occurs. It's always occurring, but your mind enters it at one point, and then it seems to occur to you from this point of view, but it's just not an occurrence. So once I saw the gray and the, and the uh, red as pink and magenta, it was done. That's what it's sort of like. Yeah? The mis same mistake is being re-perceived over and over and over again, yet all I needed, in a sense, with that little experience was one invitation. Hey, bro, that's freaking pink. As soon as, he, I, as, soon as I entertained his view, I saw it as pink, and it never changed into gray again. That's it. That's the power of this message, in a sense. Because your mind knows. Yeah? It's all there is. It's all knowledge, all knowing. It's the, it's the essence and movement of all knowing. How we know is, a, is just a contrived system of knowing as, a, as the subject and you as an object. That's what happens with the truth here. 
if you're identified as this, you've made an object a subject. And of course, as soon as you become the subject, everything has to become an object to you. That's the way it works in duality. So if you believe you're the subject, then the truth is an object to you, and the only way you'll approach the, the truth as if it's something to achieve. Because you'll see it as an object to you as the subject. When you realize this is an object, yeah, it can be very def, de, you know, defeating to the head, but as it implodes, it explodes into the reality of, I'm not that, then the universal subject is obvious. Yeah, the universal subject is one. Yeah? Then the subject, seeing all there is as subject, knows it's pointless to try to know the truth. Because how can you know what you already are? You can only know from what you are. Yeah? So the truth that is, seems to be so infrequently visited by us because it's an object we're trying to get, is immediately seen from as being all there is as that. Yeah? There's no studying to have that occur. It just occurs. There's a psychic shift, and then you see anew. Just like Jesus, I don't know what he said, but supposedly, you know, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Everyone has eyes and ears, but it's the seeing and the hearing is different. I had the eyes to see that that shirt was pink, but I was seeing them as gray. And I definitely had the eyes to see that pants was magenta, but I saw it as red. But as soon as, soon as I had my little ordinary, everyday Jesus show up, and he told me, hey, Paul... That's gray, that's pink, and that's magenta. I got it. That's what it's like. And if it gets established to an optionlessness, a choicelessness, there's no getting it, so therefore you can't entertain losing it. See, I saw that as one of the biggest dilemmas of achieving anything out here or attaining everything. If I believe I did something to attain something, I will believe I can do something to lose it. And you better believe your mind's going to flip back and forth, yeah? If it believes you attain something, it's definitely going to initiate the belief you're going to lose it. And therefore, boom, boom. And that peace is not worth having it can, if it can be gotten and lost. It's not worth having here. If a peace can, that can be gotten and lost is valued, it has no true value. Because the peace is prior to that. It passes that kind of understanding. So, once I got it, that I can never get it, that was having it, in a way. You know, what you would call having it, that's what, to me, it's like. Having it is that I never got it. <laughs> such a cool thing. I never got this freaking thing. There's never an event that ever happened, nothing. There's nothing to get, there's nothing to have. There's just the rec- recognition of what, can al- what is always so and can never not be so. No matter how much hopping and puffing you do, and you can't blow down this house in a way. So, that idea of selfing, to me, a nice place to start is to see what most people need is immunity to thought, really, if you looked at them during the day. Because a day can be beautiful, but they can't entertain it if they're entertaining their thoughts that it's going to be terrible next week. So every time the banquet is put out and the invitation is on offer, which is in this this present moment, if you're living in what's not happening, you can can actually be saying no to what's going on. So the invitation will be declined and you'll take the invitation of what's not happening. To me, that's playing God. That's how the head plays God. And now 
recovery, the major thing is the third step, and it says the how and why of the third step is first you've got to quit playing God. Why? It doesn't work. So I found, to me, I look at it and I go, this thing, its whole activity is playing God. That's what it does. It, ta- it wants to live in what's not happening. And you can't be playing God more than that. To say no to what's happening and attempt to override it with what's not happening is a pretty big, godly, ballish move. And then to sort of, I just cannot believe how when people call me up and they want to come over and bring their problems from what's not happening to my what's happening. (laughs) And you point out, but that's not happening. (laughs) Why not just entertain what's happening? You're adamant about entertaining what's not happening. And it's a really, it's a miracle worker. We're miracle workers here. It says if you can, you can move a mountain if you have the faith of a mustard seed. Hey, you and I are making up what's not happening to override what's happening. That's a pretty damn big miracle. Yeah? That you could be sitting in a room and it's a really nice evening and there's no impending threat here and there's no need to be anxious or any fear. And yet you can be dwelling in what's not happening and be in abject anxiety about what's not happening. And how can you have any cure for that except to point out it's not happening? Really, what, are the, what cure would work when the problem is arising out of what's not happening? The cure would be it's not happening, wouldn't it? <laughs> Any other solution would be part of the problem, I would say. Yeah. I, would giving, I would be giving weight and truth to the problem by applying a solution to it. Instead of just sitting in the emphatic obviousness of it's not happening. Yeah. And then see what happens. Just sit there and see how if right now there's no threat yet for you at this very second, is there? Nothing's going on. So if there was a lot of anxiety being expressed in your body, what would you believe you're reacting to? Not here. You'd be reacting to what's not happening. And most of us are in the habit of reacting, not us, because it's the apparatus that's reacting. But the apparatus, this action figure, is reacting to what's not happening almost all the time. And the thing is, that reaction to what's not happening is overriding the response to what's happening. And if we're not responding to what's happening and we're reacting to what's not happening, that would be an interpretation, an extreme one, yeah? And if something is giving meaning to what's not happening, I would say that something that's giving meaning to what's not happening is playing God. It's interpreting what's not happening as what's happening. You can't be more God-playing than that. And if you've been under the devotion of this God, you know what it likes to do with what's not happening. It has a giant fertile field called the future to grow like 40-year-old hydroponic pot plants with giant buds of anxiety that it's been harvesting over and over and over again for the years. It's just unbelievable. And it harvests this crop, and where does it deliver it? To here, to what's happening. So you're actually harvesting an imaginary crop in what's not happening, either from a dead tree or a future speculative tree, and then you're bringing it here and you're dropping it in to the produce market of now, and you're experiencing the fruits of those trees. 
And Jesus says, you'll know the tree by the fruits. So check out the fruits that are seemingly being dropped in. They're not coming from what's happening, are they? Of course, what's not happening is part of what's happening, but I want to make a dramatic picture of it. So the product is coming from what's not happening. And you're experiencing life based on the products of what's not happening. And of course, you're going to be dissatisfied, yeah? How could you not be? It's like being starved in the Garden of Eden. So we're saying here simply, as a beginning, just check out what's happening. And you watch the head's reaction, you're like, this is boring, I've heard this before, I don't like this guy, whatever it may be. All of its takes are just ways to place God. Yeah. Literally, to throw your attention and interest off of what's happening and put it into what's not happening because then it gets caught in the gravitational pull of self. The idea of being the self that what's not happening is going to happen to. <laughs> and what's not happening did happen to. Yeah. And so now your interest and attention is revolving around this idea of being a Paul, a future one and a past one, and that interest and attention is being withdrawn from the moment. Yeah. So you're taking... Your, not you, but the mind is taking your interest and attention out of the, the investment, this account of now, and putting it into the, the account of then and, and there. Yeah? And the returns are quite different. When my interest and attention is put into this account of now, the return is, is a, a sort of a fluidity, a sense of presence, yes? a sense of... of um, A presence. You sense something larger than a body. Yeah? You sense something. And there's a fluidity here. And it's very economical to be in this moment. You're actually pared down. You only have the wisdom you need to know to do the next right thing. You don't need a wealth of wisdom right now. You don't need the script, the, the knowledge of all the scriptures. You really don't. They're unnecessary. <laughs> it's just a total paring down in, in the economy. That's beautiful. And when, you, when the interest and attention goes into here, yes, and you experience having it by giving it away. Yeah? Here, when you give it away to this, you don't have it. When you give it away to selfing, you don't have the interest and attention. It's now wedded or enslaved to self in reinforcing the idea that you're a self. So now you're paying attention, not to the beauty and the moment and the wind and the unconditional love that may be offered, but you're, atten you're paying attention to the thoughts about it. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're paying attention to the mind's interpretations about the feelings that are arising. And the mind's comparisons with the feelings of the past and the future. And this and that and that and this. This is selfing. This is being bonded and wed to self. And what we're saying is, please relieve me of the bondage to self. The bondage to self is not on the self side. The bondage is you. It's the interest and attention that you are a vehicle of. Yeah. When your interest and attention is given over to selfing, you'll be bound to it. And then the thoughts will always be about self, and you'll have a very difficult time having any immunity to them, because you will truly believe they're about you. And the only reason why you have interest in any of the thoughts is that they're about you or you're the thinker of them. I'm serious. It's the only way. I tell I always use this example, but it paints it perfectly for me. I'm interested in this woman that's in the other room right over here. 
and uh, I want us, hopefully I could go out with her, I'm hoping, you know, my idea is I'll be married with her, and this is my fifth marriage, but this is the one that will work, or whatever, you know. So you see, all the possibilities you entertain in self-centeredness are the same old possibilities, they're just dressed up differently. So, yeah. so here I am, trying to listen to her, what she's saying, because I want to see if I have a, a lead into asking her out, you know. She says, I hate that guy, I'll immediately rationalize, I never liked her anyway, you know. <laughs> But there I am, listening intently, and I'm supposed to be doing a talk here. People are going, hey, Paul, it doesn't seem like you're here. But I don't know, no, I'm here, but I'm really here. You know, my intention and interest is in this room. And then someone says, hey, Paul, he grabs me by the arm and tries to pull me back in the room. I say, yeah, yeah, I understand, but I can't seem to help myself. And there they are, talking and talking and talking. And finally I hear her say something. And she says, she starts talking about Matt. My name is Paul, by the way, yeah? So she's talking about Matt. As soon as I hear she's talking about Matt, I lose interest in a second. Like that. I do not have to take six months of workshops to lose interest. I do not. I do not have to read books, why I shouldn't be listening to conversations in other rooms, what a waste of time it is, none of that. I just immediately are free. My attention and interest leaves that and goes where? See, people think they lose interest. You don't lose interest. You just lose interest in things. The interest is always the same. It's an infinite amount of interest and attention. Yeah? You can't squander interest and attention. It can just be absorbed into something and get lost in a way. Yeah? When your interest and attention gets absorbed in the idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, that's what reassures your ignorance of your nature. That's all it does. It constantly reinforces the ignorance of your true nature because the true nature is that interest and attention. It's a verb. That interest and attention is going here and because we're in self-centeredness, interest and attention hits you, but I never actually see you. I only see the idea I have of you which reflects back into self. Yeah? So you get into this loop of self-centeredness or self-importance. So all my attention and interest goes out. That's its nature here. The beautiful thing is there's attention and interest that goes out, and then it also, because it's dualistic here, it also goes this way. Yeah? So my attention and interest is drawn out in this world because this is what this world is, is of experience. Yeah? My interest and attention is what allows me to have experience of things. So here I am. My interest and attention is going out with you. But my up, then, at the same time, it has this movement. Now, what happens here is I'm identified as this idea of self. My interest and attention goes back to that. Yes? This interest and attention doesn't go back out. Yeah? Yeah? This, what happens is if I'm... And so this attention and interest... It's almost like it has a homing device. It only goes to where you believe you are, what you believe you are. If you're identified as self, there's not going to get anywhere, you're not going to get any way around that with any philosophy. It ain't going to work. Because your interest and attention is still going to go back to self as you. I'm serious. There it's going, yeah? Out. And this is like a black hole. So your interest and attention goes in there, but it doesn't keep circulating, yes? Because it gets absorbed in there. Then it bounces, and then it just stays in this thing. And then, then you go over all your opinions, all your memories of what didn't happen, all your hopes of what could happen, and it gets like a, fl a fly stuck in a room. The fly does not want to be in your room. It's just all the windows and doors are closed. So it's buzzing there for days. 
So you're trying to go to sleep and you can't sleep because your interest and attention is on all the thoughts about what you think should have happened today. <laughs> so here, what this is going on is if the interest, if you entertain, you are not a long-lasting independent separate entity, which is what we're, what's happening here, is an entertaining effect. It's not the words. The words are an envelope. The message is something other than words. Yeah? There's an entertaining of a certainty in this room that we are not that. Yeah? So here's the attention, all right? And now my interest and attention, when I realize I'm not that self, where does it go? It goes somewhere else. It doesn't go anywhere because all there is is everywhereness. Yes? That's its nature. So it doesn't go to any fixed position. It's just because it's always going. Yes? So now, every moment, it's like this. You're experiencing, you're attending and having interest in things, but this interest and attention is resting not in the opaqueness of Paul, yeah, that stops it, but it sees through that, like Taoism says. The light, turn the light upon itself. The light upon itself doesn't mean you. The light upon itself means on light. So the awareness and attention now goes back through this identification and goes into itself. And that's the real sense of presence to me. That's the sense of movement. That's the verbing of I amness, of beingness, yeah? It's not getting hit. It's not running into this opaque black wall of a picture with a, an, an, uh, an image of me. And okay, so life now, instead of seeing life's happening through, if the opaque is me, then it's life is happening too. That's the disease, that's the disease of self-centeredness. When you see life is happening to you, that's the disease of self-centeredness. When you see life is happening through, that's the movement of it, yeah? So that's when you have it by giving it away. So if something grabs your attention, you have tons of it. <laughs> you can give all the attention to the, in the world to that flower, to that second, or that ant. Yeah, so whatever it may be, you're rich. You're abundantly rich in interest and attention. There's no need to privatize it or try to, you know, attain it or achieve it or, or, or build it up or, you know, muscle it or work it out. It's incessantly huge. It's like electromagnetism. It feeds on itself forever. But when it's not, when it's free, when it's bonded to selfing, it gets totally neurotic and distorted. Because then you have tons of interest and attention on a false object called you. And it's too much for that false object to take all, all that attention and interest. It cannot take the light shined on it. It will, it will go crazy. Yet it wants the light shined on it. Because that's its only reality. Its sense of relevance is if it's attention and interest. But the same thing it's yearning for is what destroys it. Because it drives it fucking crazy. Doesn't it? Then you want to drink or do some dope or do something. Because you can't handle it anymore. You're not even thinking so much about you, you think of how others are thinking about you. Called self-consciousness. Well, how, you, how other people are seeing you as an object. You're constantly thinking about them. I mean, <laughs> so, to me, the real freedom is just that. It's a recognition of the optionlessness, the choicelessness of the matter. It's not based on your feeling or not feeling, or today I'm really great, and then tomorrow I'm not going to be great. It has nothing to do with anything. Because it's everything. Yeah, that to me is the freedom.
doesn't have to be evident to self. It doesn't. Your head knows this. That's why we dropped the thing. I was out there ardently seeking spirituality, which was the probably... That was a trip, seriously. And yet, I could never found this. So you would think that if, if, it was, if it could have been brought about by seeking, I would have definitely found it. I was seeking quite a lot. Yeah? And I was going to other people who sought a lot more than I ever did, and I was finding out what they sought for, and they were telling me what they sought for, so I was seeking with them. But then when someone invited me this message, that was just a change of the direction. My attention and interest didn't stop at me anymore. It went through to the consciousness that I am. Yes? That is the reservoir of all that interest and attention. And it was obvious. It was like an unspoken yes. It was a done deal. Did it translate as a done deal immediately? No. But the fact is, it didn't have to translate. That's the good news. There's no need to be liberated here. There's no need for anything. There's just the recognition of what's happening and what's not happening. has been baked, yeah? You sense it? Like a little souffle. I dig it. <laughs> Any questions tonight? Yeah? some cookies and everything back there. One of our... What's your name again? Gene. Gene brought some incredible nice cookies and gourmet chips. your experience, I don't know, it could be for someone else it couldn't. It may not be more likely you know. for me here it's like uh, in the Course in Miracles they used to talk about, you can't confuse levels, so there's like the consequential level yes, the, like the development, this isn't from that, but this is my take on it there's like a consequential level where we live on day to day, yes so there seems to be actions you do and then there's reactions to them and there's actions that you seem to have done in the past and they catch up to you later on. And the confusing of levels is when you hear a message, let's say, of Advaita, and you try, when you're believing you're an action figure, to take that message of Advaita and, and apply it to the consequential level. It won't work, really. Yeah? So, let's say there's the feeling or whatever that you're on the consequential level and you have a disease of the mental process called alcoholism in the apparatus, then it's very helpful for that apparatus to do the steps and everything, 
because what it does is it clears up a lot of the consequential level dilemmas. And maybe, just maybe, when those are cleared up, and so he had, you and I have, were given a pail of water because we were in an imaginary house burning down. If someone would have said, there is no house and there isn't you, it wouldn't have helped us at all back then, unless it did. But most of us, we would have said, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? But, so someone gave us a pail of water and told us how to, where there was water and then how to get the water in the pail and get over to the fire quick enough. And then, then they started teaching us, well, how, to, how did the fire start, Paul? Yeah, after we were blaming, it was my neighbor and this and that. Then we did an inventory process, and if, you, if you're familiar with recovery, everybody in a bar tonight did the first two columns of the inventory. They know why they're mad and who they're mad at. But it hasn't brought about any relief, because they never looked at what their role in it was. So maybe that would happen after a while. People would point out, hey, maybe, Paul, you've had 20 relationships that didn't work. Which was the constant in all those relationships? You! Maybe you had something to do with these not working all the time. What? It would be news to you. I mean, you were so out to lunch. Oh, so then maybe you started taking a little responsibility. Yeah? And there would be a clearing up. So let's say here, if you have, a, in, as an apparatus, if there's a lot of resentment and fear going on, yes, in, the, in like the blueprint room, that word fear, false evidence is appearing real. A lot of evidence is appearing, that's false is appearing real to you. When you're projecting that reality out and acting as if it's so, there are certain measures that need to be taken. Yeah? I've met a lot of people who were very clear and they became Buddhists, but they're still alcoholic Buddhists now. They didn't get any relief from alcoholism. They're Buddhists, though. They're very, maybe, good practitioners of Buddhism, but they're drunks. This <laughs> is that simple. Yeah, maybe it's okay to be a drunk, who knows, but they're just drunks, a lot of them. I've met, you know, a number of them. So, our sense is we got these, we in the recovery, we got, we learned how to put the pail of, you know, get the pail of water, put the fires out. Then we learned our role in the fire, maybe, yes? And then after that, maybe we can entertain, or some of us are just happy to be able to go to a barbecue and not ruin the event, yeah? But other of us have more of an urge, so we're open up to, entertain other possibilities. Then in the book it talks about if you are established in this position of relying on something greater than self, which is recognizing you're not self. That to me is what's relying on. That's reliance on something greater than self, is recognizing you're not self. Yeah? Which is pure Advaita, in a sense. If you want to talk about Advaita. If you get established in that thing, certain things are going to happen to you. You're going to feel a new power flow in. It doesn't say you're going to achieve a new power or attain. You're just going to recognize a new power flowing in. Yeah? You're going to realize you can face life successfully. You're going to feel a conscious presence. Yeah? And, and what's going to happen is you're going to begin to lose the fear of today, tomorrow, and the year after. You're going to be reborn. Now that is not, has nothing to do with getting pails of water and putting fires out. That is, a, that is something, that's a shift that isn't occurred by any doing and having. Then another part of the book, in page 84, it says similar things. It says, you will cease fighting everyone or anything. You did not bring yourself up to that position. It happens, yeah? You will... Now, this is really cool. You'll cease fighting everyone anything. You'll be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. Neutrality is that pause, yeah? Neutrality is that pause we talked about, yeah? That, that timeless moment in a linear uh, place of time, yes? The pause. That pause is will be placed in a position of neutrality, and from there the problem will not exist for you. There is no way 
You as a problem can make the problem not exist for you. <laughs> self cannot get out of self. So what happens is there's a recognition I'm not that, and then the problem, which is being that, does not exist for you anymore. It's pure Advaita, or non-duality, and it's in AA. The problem will not exist for you. If, if the problem is being self, or being identified as self, then if you're identified as self, the problem is existing as you. So it has to be a recognition you're not self for the problem not to exist for you anymore. Yeah? Because if you identify yourself, the problem would still be existing as you, which is even worse than for you. That's the dilemma. People start hearing a message, and they start doing things, and they start trying to get relief, right, from the problem, but for the problem. They don't see that there's an identification as self that's trying to get relief from self. You see the fruitlessness of that after a while. You see, how can self ever get out of self? How can a mental process, a product of a mental process, ever leave the realm of that mental process? It's a product of the process. It can't leave. Yeah? It's not inherently causeless. It's an effect. A mental process has produced a sense of being a self. How can that self ever leave the mental process? So the problem does not exist for you when you are not existing as the problem. That's it. Yeah? Because you're relying on self. So the fourth column for me it has to see a, a letting go of all of that. And uh, I, to be honest with you, I, I think I've had one spot seen who can even get there. I can't, I can't do it for them, you know. And I, uh, I just, you know, wherever they can get to, I help them get to that. But I, I saw that as an agenda of the ego to manage better with the third column in the future. Yeah, but remember what they're doing for you, in a sense. Are you? putting yourself out to them, it, it's allowing you to have, like, become a free-range alcoholic. <laughs> you know? You get a lot of freedom by passing it on, eh? Because you have it by giving it away. Well, I'm not saying not to serve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, it, was, it was Bill who was, what, six months sober and complaining to Lois and no one else was sober, and she turned in and said, Bill, you are. That's right. So. The thing is, too, with the, the first step, with, which in recovery is we admit that were palace over alcohol and our lives are unmanageable. My experience with that was I realized my life was unmanageable because I was trying to manage it. 
That's the problem. Yeah? So, in other words, if I got to the third column of the inventory and I thought if I only could manage my instinctual agenda better, that would be the same dilemma. It's always back to that same dilemma of reliance on something called self, yeah? which is an unreliable system. It's just that simple. That's why it says it in the book. It says, why do you have so much fear? And he doesn't let you answer because you probably have a big story. Why? It says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? So the whole dilemma of the anxiety that most of us are living as normal everyday life is based on what we're relying on. We're relying on something that's unreliable. Our ability to react to something unreliable is quite good. Fear. <laughs> anxiety. The thing is telling us every day, hey, your whole life is based on something unreliable. That's why this anxiety and fear and this discomfort's happening every day. Yet, but what's, what, what answers the alarm is the problem. So your self thing goes, oh yes, this is unreliable, this, which is not me. So now, it even, and even if it's introduced to self as a topic that's defeating it, it will see it from the point of view of being a self. So it will now go, yes, self is what I've got to get over as a self. <laughs> so the dilemma I found in recovery, in a lot of ways, is it says perhaps there's a better way. Yeah. And so hopefully you're at the point of going, hey, perhaps there is. I'm tired of what's going on in me. And it says, okay, the better way is simply this, trusting something infinite rather than finite self. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. Where do I go? What do I do? What do I have? That's the dilemma again, right? But Okay, so the, that invitation is given to you. So now you start deciding to get out of self. So you're starting, but you don't realize this identification of self's got a tricky strategy. Its main core is that it's convinced you you're it. And if you're identified as it, you will not know you're identified as it. Because <laughs> that's why it's called identification as it. You forget your nature by being identified as it. And it's not a tattoo we got one time, it's a verb. The mind's doing it all day, the mental process. It's verbing, selfing, 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 yeah? So now, it sounds really great. Perhaps there's a better way. There's the better way. Do the program, this and that. Everything sounds great. I'm packing up, I'm ready to go on the journey, I'm going to get to that thing and get relief from self. But I'm traveling as the problem the whole time. That's the dilemma that's not usually pointed out. The identification itself thrives just as well in the problem as the solution. It has no has no problem putting on monk's robes or like you know a pimp's jacket. It has no. It, it, I can identify with any scenario here quite easily. Yes. The whole point is to recognize if that's the case and I'm not that. There's your freedom. Not later on. Not after you do and have a lot of stuff, but immediately. Immediately the offering is there. And that's what's tricky because what wants to make it into time is the reaction to the immediacy of the message, which is selfing. The selfing arises and goes, oh, I've got to do something to get this. If that's how it pushes it into time. But the immediacy of it is so quick, bueno, if you can get caught with your pants down, it's done deal. You just whoop. The obviousness just rushes over you. Yeah. The head wants to get ready and prepare, okay, I'm going to go home and read uh, somebody or whatever, some non-dual Advaita teacher, and that way I can put it off for another night, <laughs> responding to the ability that I am. <laughs> this is quicker than that. And you know what? It doesn't matter. There's no pressure. This is not, no one's getting drafted here. What's thinking I now have to do something that I haven't been doing? That's not it. 
I'm just saying you're not that. You're not that which may want to do this, and you're not that which may not, doesn't want to do it. It's out of the realm of wanting to do it and not doing it. It's what you are. You don't have a choice. This idea of thinking you have a choice, oh, I can explore my own nature. No, you are the verbing of that nature right now, with a big disguise on. Taking yourself to be the... It's like the scientist looks through the telescope, and the telescope has lenses that allow the stars to be seen closer. Not by the telescope. The telescope is not seeing the stars. But the telescope can facilitate the scientist to see the stars. Yeah? The lenses are there, so if there's the consciousness of the scientist, and it looks through this certain telescope, it can see stars that it couldn't see before. Let's just, let's just example. So there's consciousness, spirit, let's say, that's coming through this telescope of a body, so that it can experience itself as other. Yeah? So what could not be seen as two can be seen as two with this certain set of lenses called the human brain, and the body, and the ability to have senses, yes? So now consciousness, or the undifferentiated light, looks through the telescope of the body and sees the world as separate and things, and solid, and yes? Distance, and colors, and this and that. But it's not this that's seeing that. This facilitates the seeing of it. This is a way of looking, but what's actually looking is what's seeing. Now, it's difficult for what's looking, as a way of looking, to look and see. It's realizing you're not that, the seeing gets unadorned by a form of looking, yes? So the telescope is seen as a telescope by the scientists, and once it's seen as a telescope, it's recognized it's always been a telescope. This was never living my life, yes? This was never me. And it's not like, now I'm in the face when it's not me. That is duality. There's no me or not me. There's no me, and then there's a realization of a no me. That's not, that's not what's happening. There's a recognition that none of this ever happened. There was never a fall, and there never will be a fall. That's the optionlessness of it. That's the beauty of it. That's where true forgiveness occurs, because you realize, truly, you or no one else has ever done anything. The deepest scar can only go skin deep or emotionally deep. It does not go into spirits. The spirit is like the sky. Tons of things are happening in the sky, but let's say 4th of July explosions, but the sky doesn't get cut open by those explosions. And I've never seen a plane run into a piece of sky up there. <laughs> Boom! Hey, we hit some sky! No, the sky is what allows everything to appear in it, but it's not affected by any of it. Jesus says, you're in this place, but you're not of it. So, let's say, this is appearing in the sky, but you are not of what's appearing in the sky. You are of sky. You are of that space. You are the scientist looking through the telescope. You are the undifferentiated light being differentiated through this prism. But you are not the prism. This is an interface for this experience to occur. To who? Not you. This is just a vehicle. This is like the the Ford emblem on the car. I'm not Ford. Yes. It's just a Ford emblem on the car that's driving into this place. But that consciousness. Yeah. I've, missed, I've never missed a meeting yet. Yeah. And yet I've never been to one of them. I've been to every one of Paul's meetings. In eight, 19 years now. Jesus Christ, you think I'd be bored of it by now.
19 years of coming to the same meeting three times a week. <laughs> Thank God I never showed up. Because if I, it was me, I would have said no. Tons of times. Tons of things happened that I would have said no. I can't go tonight. Yeah, well, I get sick occasionally. Sorry. I knew you'd be the one person. Now, one time in 19 years. Phyllis or whatever in the honeymoon. So I'll give you a Yeah. No more questions. Say, isn't it a nice invitation? I think it's incredible. I'm going to do one more thing tonight for the people in recovery. I think this is so important, and so don't listen to it, really. <laughs> if I think it's important, do not listen to it. In our recovery thing, you're in the recovery thing, it says very clearly on page 64, and most people have never gotten the instructions in this way, that I met in this program over the years I've been in. And it says, being convinced means, to, and convinced means to believe with certainty. To me, it's, I don't believe there's a trip from the head to the heart. I think it's the gut, really. And it's not a gut, but you know what I mean? It's not. These two can, these, both of these can lie. <laughs> there's something in the gut that's a little more true to me. So, being convinced that self manifested in various ways. So, manifested means appeared. Yeah? So, selfing appears in various ways. So being convinced that self manifests in various ways is what has defeated us. So it's a very important statement in recovery. Yeah? Being convinced, so, so all right, I am convinced that self is what has defeated us. So it separates the two, which is beautiful. Because how self defeated me is I was identified as it. That's the whole thing. If you ask anyone in this room what defeated you, we all, we, we do all have the same answer. But it would be a little different. It would be myself. I would never say self-defeated me. I would say myself defeated me. It's the act of identifying that defeats you, not the self. The self is just an idea of a mental process. It's your attention and interest being glommed onto it that causes you to be in the trance of self. Yes? So, being convinced that self manifests in various ways is what has defeated us, we will now look at its, meaning selves, common manifestations which are its common appearances in our lives. And then the next paragraph is the word resentment. Yeah. So my view, which I was never taught, nor have I heard anyone else teach it in AA, is the inventory process is really an inventory on self's expressions in our lives. It's not an inventory on our expressions, because resentments are not our expressions. They're self's expressions. It just says it right there. If you're a believer in the big book, that's what it says. And so, therefore, fear, resent, resentment, and harming other people in the pursuit of what I want are expressions of selfing. Yeah? And so I can do a fearless and thorough inventory on, on the expressions of selfing. Why? Because it's not me. I have no vested interest to exclude anything. I don't have any blind spots about what I'm not. I can do an inventory of you in five minutes, which I do most of the time. Go ahead, does it all day, doesn't it? You do a spot inventory every time you need someone. <laughs> you got them down like that. But then when it comes to you, I'm so confused. What's my role in this? I don't know. I, I'm seeing two women and, I have, and I'm married. And why are they mad at me? I don't know. It's someone to illuminate me. Yes. So there's a lot of confusion when there's an identification. Yeah. So, all right, so now, being convinced itself manifests where it feels, we will now look at its common manifestation. So we do an inventory on self, so that we can recognize we're not that. We can't see the tree, so we look at the fruit. 
We look at some of the fruit, which is resentment, anxiety, harming other people. They're just the grosser fruits. There's self-pity and all this other baloney, self-sabotage, self-self-self. So we see some of the fruit, we open it up, we look at it, and hopefully it will inform us of the tree it came from. If we recognize it came from selfing, yes, and we can take it the next step farther back, which is I'm not that, we can truly be free of its expressions. Because it has to have a life to express through, and it has yours by being identified as it. It's like being possessed. It's like an entity, a foreign entity has taken you over and it's dumping, it's dumping all of this expression here in your life and you're accountable for it here. Because everyone else has identified itself, so they think what's expressing through you is you. And you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. It's crazy. To me, it, oh, it was totally revelatory when I saw that statement in the book from that view. And it happened when this thing occurs. Yeah. I read the book, and every time I saw the word self, it was like a totally new download occurred. I saw it as something other than me. And it made total sense. Any life run on it would be unsuccessful, of course. How could a lion be happy with a sheep's life? How could a sheep's life override the nature of a lion? It would always seek through the sheep into the sheep life. You'd be dissatisfied. You wouldn't know why. Because you're a freaking lion. You're not so supposed to be barring and chewing cud and worrying about being a sweater. You're supposed to be <laughs> chewing things and tacking things and roaring. Yeah, there would be a certain a disconnect and you'd, and you'd be blaming it on other people. And Why don't I have... You failed me, my sheep wife. No, you're a lion. That's what's failed you. You don't know what the hell you are. No, you're, you weren't a good enough sheep wife for me. No, no sheep wife will ever make a lion happy. That's the point. If this little problem, if this is the dilemma, yeah, if this is the imaginary problem, then the solution is it's an imaginary problem. That's the beauty of it. That's why this is this is a solution-free message. All it is is the recognition of what we call the problem is imaginary. If it's an imaginary problem, that's the solution. You don't have to do anything or anything. It's a holding of, hey, there's absolutely nothing to do about it. That's the solution to it. So beautiful. So. I like to see what I would love to do is get a book and put a lot of pauses in it at certain points where you'd stop and have some blank pages and just so you sit there and let it hit you. What the hell is he meaning? Because most people are looking at it, I think, in a wrong way. They keep calling the expressions of self theirs. And that's called that's why I call it the identification of self. Because if something was expressing through me, and every time I noticed because I'm conscious it was expressing through me, I called it me, that would be the act of identifying. Yeah? That to me is the root of the problem. It's a verb. I'm identifying with self as self, and therefore I'm identifying with all of its expressions. And the best, the only, the way, the highest level of freedom I get entertained is that I get to be a really good cleaner-upper. I can cleaner up all of its shit really good so I can you know, i got to become really good at managing a lot of shit in my life. That's not freedom to me. 
That's like slavery. But freedom is when I'm not that, then I can disengage from identifying with its expressions. Yes? And I notice when I disengage with identifying, they cease. Because the fuel for them to express so flamboyantly in my life is my interest and attention. That has been given over to it because I think it's me. My interest and attention is directed by something other than self now. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, alright, so we'll end with a... Oh, no, the basket. My lavish lifestyle. The shirts, yes. Well, I have a couple of women's shirts for $20 and $15 for the men's. Because the women's shirts were more expensive. It's a very nice shirt, eh? Wouldn't you like to wear one of these? So you said $20? I have different colors. I have orange and khaki and uh, a kiwi, which is a green. I have it in the car. Yes. I also have shoes and sweat outfits and... <laughs> Pots and pans, and cookbooks. <laughs> I gotta start some cottage industries. Nothing in magenta. Nothing in magenta. No. no, I had someone else help me pick the colors. Yeah, I can't trust myself after that.